So I'm good to go when it comes to voting in the U.S., but because I left Mexico when I was a kid, I never bothered to register to vote there. I'm still a full-fledged citizen in both countries, so I do have the right to vote on both sides of the border if I want to. But until now, I was only flexing half of my binational voting superpowers. 2020, though, felt like a pretty good year to change that. Ah, estás? So my first step to get myself registered to vote in Mexico was talking to my dad, because I have no idea how to do it. Si quisiera registrarme a votar en México, ¿qué tendría que hacer? ¿Qué serían los pasos? Tendrías que sacar tu credencial de elector. So my dad told me I should hit up the Mexican consulate. He's kind of old school and doesn't know if you can do it online, so he says it's best if I call the people who really know. So I gave the consulate a call. Gracias por llamar al Consulado General de México en San Diego. Thank you for calling the Consulate General of Mexico in San Diego. Right now, because of COVID, it's super hard to get an appointment. Over the past month, I've called multiple times, haven't gotten through. I've sent messages through their web portal. I've emailed them. Nothing. O información sobre permisos humanitarios, marque uno ahora. I almost gave up. But luckily, my producer connected me with someone who works at the consulate, and I finally got an appointment. I'm just leaving the Mexican consulate in Little Italy. It's 8.30. I registered to vote. That was actually way easier than I thought. I actually forgot that you have to take a picture, so I came with crazy bed hair. But whatever, I can vote now. From KPBS and PRX... This is Port of Entry. I'm your host, Alan Liriental. Today, we continue our series on race and politics at the border with a story about people sort of like me, but folks who are already flexing their binational power by voting on both sides. Stay with me. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. <laughs> it's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet when you're hungry for information and entertainment. You go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Paloma Zuniga cannot stand the sight of a dog without a home. I rescue dogs. I have a, an animal rescue. Um, I rescue stray animals from Mexico. I'm very against the whole stray dog situation everywhere because I know that it's, it, it can become a huge problem. I mean, we have approximately 15 million stray dogs in Mexico, which is one of my reasons why I live in Tijuana right now. 
I live for my animals. They're my mission. They're my mission. I can't. That many years ago, I could have just chose to stay in America and just have this great life in America. I don't have any children. I could, you know, work 24 hours a day if I really want to and make a great life in America. But the animals in Mexico just will not let me get away. Paloma is a binational citizen. Like me, she spent her early years in Mexico City. So I was born in Mexico City uh, to both parents from Mexico City. We also lived in a town called Valle de Bravo. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Uh, so we have, we, have a, we have a house in Valle de Bravo as well. Um, I grew up the first six, five years of my life in Mexico City. Uh, we ended up going, uh, moving to Valle de Bravo, which was a beautiful, very traditional town in Mexico. And uh, it's one of the things that that reminds me of what the Mexican culture is really about, which sometimes is a little lost in Mexico City. When she was little, her family took lots of trips to the U.S. So Paloma had a clear idea of the differences between the two countries early on. We were always very respectful of America, of the American culture, of the American way of life, law and order, um, the American secure borders, just everything America represented, which I don't feel we, all, we always had in Mexico. Uh, safety, you know, all that, that, uh, that sometimes we lack in Mexico, especially the safety. And I remember traveling to America as a six-month-old, two-year-old, five-year-old, with my parents, with my grandparents, and uh, and really valuing that part of America, where I, where I felt like, I, and also how clean America was. I remember being able to walk around barefoot in California, which, you know, going to the store barefoot in Mexico, it's not something that most people do. But I remember spending the summers in California at my aunt's house in San Juan Capistrano in, in California. And I remember it was just such a, it was, it was just so amazing to me how clean, how safe, how beautiful America was. It was, uh, you know, it, it went beyond Disneyland, but it went beyond Main Street. All of California seemed to be uh, sort of this paradise for me. Eventually, Paloma's mom married an American man and her family moved to the U.S. to live full-time. That's how Paloma became a U.S. citizen, too. The family moved to California, but it wasn't the pristine place she remembered from her childhood trips. It wasn't the same police. It wasn't the same, um, the same uh, safety, the same everything that I remember as, as a kid growing up in Mexico and visiting California, visiting America. So that's, uh, that's when I started noticing changes that I, as a Mexican in California, didn't like. Paloma lived in Orange County at first, but when she started getting involved in dog rescuing, she had to move to East L.A. to find a place that would rent to someone with lots of dogs. She says it was there, surrounded by Spanish-speaking Mexican-Americans like herself, that something sort of clicked inside her brain. I remember, you know, running into a stray dog when I first moved to America, and it was a big deal. People would make a big deal out of a stray dog running around the street in Lake Forest, which is like where I grew up in Orange County, California. Um, but in L.A., in this part of East L.A. anyway, uh, it's no big deal. It's just like another day. It's, an, it's, it's no big deal. So it seems like Mexico. The streets were super, super dirty. I mean, I took pictures for years. And I remember back in 2012, um, thinking to myself and discussing it with my neighbors, why don't we start a, you know, have like a weekend, we clean up our city. The whole city, the whole East LA looks like a, look, looks like a dumpster. Why do we have to live like this? This is not fair. This is America. 
might be getting an idea of where Paloma's politics are going. But I'm not going to tell you what exactly she's doing with her binational vote just yet. First, I want you to meet David. My name is David Hiriart, or David Hiriart, depending on what language you're speaking. Um, and I am a writer and educator based here on the U.S.-Mexico border, formerly from the San Diego-Tijuana area, now currently in the El Paso-Juarez area. David grew up on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border. He actually calls himself a border brat. As an English major, I really enjoy alliteration, so that's probably where the border brat thing came from. But now, if I think about it now, then it's just kind of like acknowledging the... Uh, the advantages and the privileges that you have as someone who can go back and forth between the two countries um, and just crossing the border by myself since I was like 12 years old was has been like an interesting experience. Um, it's kind of like being like a latchkey kid, but like on steroids, you know, so. <laughs> David was born in the U.S., so he's a citizen and his dad is Mexican, so he got his Mexican citizenship through him. He went to elementary school in Massachusetts. Then he did middle and high school in Mexico. And for college, he decided to go to school back in the States at UC San Diego. But he kept living in Mexico. That's a whole lot of zigzagging. I tried living at the dorms in UCSD and it was just, there was so much happening in Tijuana at the time that it was difficult to kind of like adapt to the very strict and boring, or it seemed to me boring, a dorm life. So I think it was like in my, during my last years of university, I just would do the trek every day from Tijuana to La Jolla, which was, yeah, it was difficult, but you know, you do what you have to. David's life straddling the border was kind of strategic for him. When things got boring or bad on one side, he used to just pack up and move to the other side. My dad gives me shit about this all the time because I remember telling him like, yeah, there, there's, I think it was like last year, I said something like, I, I don't have anywhere to run anymore, you know? And, and because like, yeah, sure, I mean, I'll admit it, you know, it's like things are getting in Mexico. I would, I would, I would live in the U.S. for a while and, or I would like, you know, try and like figure out stuff in the U.S. And if things in the U.S. were getting I would go to Mexico. And, you know, and again, like, my father gave me shit about that. It's like, yeah, that's never how you should have thought of things. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you're not supposed to run. <laughs> Thankfully, you, you have the option to. But, you know, 99.9% .9 of the population does not have that option. The U.S. has allowed citizens living abroad to vote in elections for a long time. Mexicans who live outside of the country, however, didn't win the right to vote until 2006 after a hard-fought battle to convince lawmakers. As a citizen in both Mexico and the U.S., David can vote on both sides of the border. He can also work for political campaigns in both Mexico and the U.S. That's a right reserved only for dual citizens. There are strict election laws that say foreign nationals can't donate to or work for political campaigns in the U.S., Foreigners are allowed to volunteer their time on a political campaign, but the minute money enters the picture, it's not allowed. Anyway, in 2014, while David was living in Tijuana, he got a job canvassing in San Diego. I, I didn't know what canvassing was um, until it was like around maybe 18 or 19. 
when it was like, hey, you can, you know, they're paying a quarter for every signature you get, right? You would see like these kids on, on, on your college campus or whatever, getting like registering people to vote or whatever. And you're like, oh, I can do that. Like, I don't know how to talk to people and I can, you know, uh, figure that out. So yeah, so I did kind of start on the cynical side of it. It was just like another extra college gig, but it felt nice to do something that wasn't McDonald's, that wasn't you know, Walmart, that was something that was actually, like, helping out a cause while I was able to, like, make book money or whatever, right? And then from there, it just kind of, like, the financial aspect took a back seat, and I just started, um, I was kind of, like, already on these lists of canvassers, so I just kept going to whenever they called me up, and I had, like, an extra weekend, I would do, like, get out the vote stuff, or I would do, um, just kind of be that extra pair of hands whenever it was needed. David was good at what he did. He's charismatic. One of those people you want to hang out with, smoke a J, talk about the meaning of life with. He's just very good at listening and holding court. It's a quality that made him successful at getting people's signatures on the spot. You you kind of like learn to to talk about politics more in the reality of politics as where people are than the mental masturbation that it is for most people, right? No one really gives a shit about what the New York Times says or what MSNBC says or Fox says outside of getting angry for it and, you know, posting it and having, like, friends give, like, a little heart thingy or, like, a thumbs-up thingy to it, right? The reality on the ground is, is very different, and the way that people talk about politics is very different. You catch more people politically by saying stuff like, you know, work sucks, right? <laughs> hey, why do I have to work 60 hours a week and I still can't make rent? David's signature-gathering expertise wasn't really needed in Mexico. There really wasn't the equivalent or need to collect signatures or register people to vote back in the day. But that changed in 2015. Until then, Mexico barred independent candidates from the ballot. You had to be with one of the big political parties to qualify. But once the country did allow independent candidates to run, it required them to get lots of signatures to qualify. And suddenly... David found his skill set in high demand in Tijuana. Basically, a lot of like politicians were lost. Like, yeah, how do you get sign? You know, like how do you get sign people to sign stuff? And you know, well, you do what we did. You get a bunch of like charming twenty-year-old, twenty-somethings, and you put them on street corners to like say, like, hey, where do you vote? And have you heard of so and so? You know, so it was really interesting to like translate that dynamic. So 2015 was a super busy year for David. He was working with political nonprofits in Tijuana and also canvassing and working in Spanish-speaking neighborhoods in San Diego, getting people registered to vote. But then, when the 2016 presidential election happened in the U.S., he himself found out there was a problem with his own voter registration. I promise I will tell you what happened to David in 2016. But first, I've got one more binational voter I want you to meet. I'm ready. Okay, when I was, we'll, um, we'll start talking in English. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Her name is Olivia Aguirre Cortez. And Olivia keeps up with politics in both countries by reading news in both Spanish and English. But she also does this other thing. Marta? Hey, hola. Bueno. Josué? Hola. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, Jacob. How are you? 
Olivia likes to call friends and family and even acquaintances that she just met from both sides of the border and dive right into these really long and deep conversations about life, philosophy, religion, music, and of course, politics. Just one day after meeting her, she was texting me and connecting me to people, treating me like a member of her family. She has a very quirky and charming way of connecting with people. I think without being my goal, I have uh, become an agent of change with the people that I'm close with. So I know a lot of people on both sides of the, of the border. I, I can say uh, with joy that I have uh, good connections with uh, both countries. There's very few cars and all the employees from customs are wearing their face masks. The soldiers, I don't see them. Well, well, I guess one of them is about to drink water. That's probably why he's not wearing a face mask. Yet a lot of people waiting to go across the border from Tijuana to San Diego. Olivia lives in San Diego now, but she grew up in Tijuana and still crosses back into Mexico all the time. On this particular trip, which we asked her to record for us on her smartphone, she was going to a pharmacy to get medication that's a lot cheaper than it is north of the border. Tacos Junior. Very good fish tacos. Shrimp tacos too. Going up the hill to Polonia Cacho. Olivia loved living in Tijuana, but she just wasn't able to build her career in mental health there. It's just not a service enough people can afford. And mental health isn't a priority in Mexico the way it's becoming one in the U.S. So she applied for and got a work visa after she got offered a job as a school therapist in Barrio Logan, a largely Spanish-speaking neighborhood of San Diego. But even after she moved just a few minutes north of the border, she made sure she stayed registered to vote in Mexico. She can vote in Mexican elections by mail, but she still crosses the border to vote sometimes, too. She says she'll never forget the first time a Mexican presidential ballot showed up in her mailbox. Everything was so professional, so pretty, so colorful. I felt so proud, so I voted. That was for uh, during the, when, when we elected Calderón. Um, but for Peña Nieto, I went and, and I was able to vote in Mexico. I went to Tijuana to vote. It's good that I, I have the ability to vote in two countries because, again, if I vote in Mexico for the things that will impact Mexico, but not only Mexico, the U.S. and other countries... Of course I'm going to vote. My vote and the vote of every single person does count. Some people think, why bother? They're going to do what they're going to do. No, it does count, and it is a responsibility. It is a duty, not only a right. Olivia is so into politics and voting that she even planned her own wedding around Election Day in Mexico. She made sure her big day would not get in the way of her civic duty. 
but I didn't want to not vote. I know, maybe I'm a nerd, but I cared. Something I, I really like about uh, voting in Mexico is that it is on a weekend when a lot of people can go. It's not on a weekday. And um, I, I well, a lot of people work like three jobs or four jobs, but it gives them time to go and, and vote. And it, it's hard for me to understand why here in America people have to like take time off or earn less money that day to go and vote. It took Olivia from 2006 to 2019 to become an actual citizen. That's 13 years. This will be the first, the first time that I can vote because I just became a citizen last year. Guess what? We commemorate when they passed the 19th Amendment. So women were allowed to vote. I believe they didn't vote until two years after that. But it is amazing that now I'm a citizen, it's the 100th anniversary, and I will get to vote. And I will vote. So that's, I don't know, maybe I'm cheesy, but who cares? <laughs> it's so important to me. So what exactly are these binational citizens' politics? How are they actually using their power to vote in both countries? You might think dual citizens are all sort of the same when it comes to which side of the political fence they fall on, right? But actually, they're really all over the place. We'll show you how after a short break. Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. For Paloma, it really all comes back to the dogs. She started seeing stray dogs wandering around the streets of East L.A., and that's when she says she felt like the worst parts of Mexican culture had made their way to the U.S. My neighbors had, it looked like a junkyard next to me, you know. And unfortunately, these are Hispanics and I'm not even, obviously I'm not being racist. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm Mexican myself and, and, you know, I'm as Mexican as Mexican is going to get. Like, it doesn't get any more Mexican than me. But why do we have to bring that with us to America? Why can't we? I mean, because I, I know other states and other cities and other areas, other counties, um, they, they don't, their, their streets don't look like that. Their, their front yards don't look like that. They don't have stray dogs running around. They don't have, you know, do, uh, cars that have been parked outside for 
two years, you know, that um, look like. So so that's one of the things that started bothering me. Also, another thing is that I felt like the American culture was being lost. That realization right there that American culture was supposedly being lost because of Mexicans, it set Paloma on a path that would eventually lead to Trump. I've been supporting uh, President Donald Trump since the beginning of his campaign, the day he announced he was running for president. Okay, if your knee-jerk reaction to hearing about a Mexican woman who supports Trump is like, wait, what? Support a guy who wants to wall off your country and make you pay for it? Well, then you're definitely not alone. But Paloma's got a quick response to that. My message is of nationalism, pretty much. I want Mexico to remain Mexico, especially when the caravans came here and they were coming by the thousands coming from other places. And I want America to remain America. I don't know if you can hear it in my background, but I'm building a wall right now. Can you hear it, sort of? I cannot. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, we're building a wall. A lot of my, um, I've had a few things stolen from my front yard or whatever. As of about two and a half weeks ago, we started building a, a fence, a, a wall, you know, concrete wall. With So I feel that it is necessary to have national security. I, you know, I think he's looking out for the welfare of Americans. Um, I, I do think he wants to put Americans first. When Trump announced his candidacy in 2015, Paloma felt like a lot of the things he was saying were spot on. She, too, wanted to make America great again. And she realized that as a Mexican woman, she had a unique perspective that might resonate with people outside of Trump's immediate reach. I felt like I had to speak my mind. And I remember printing a big sign in 2015 when he announced he was running for president because I saw what they were doing with the rhetoric and with the message that he was putting out. And I felt it was being twisted. So I put, I printed a, a huge sign that said, I am Mexican. It was, bl- it was black, red, and white. It had the big, big letters that it said, I am Mexican, and smaller letters that said, and I'm also American, and I love Trump. I mean, obviously, I, I wanted to get my message out, but the sign got more attention than I, than I thought it would. I mean, I knew it would get attention, but before I knew it, I was getting a lot of calls from different media outlets and different, uh, obviously, traveling to different places. They were asking me to travel and, and, uh, and do speeches. Whether she was ready or not, that sign and the attention it got propelled her into the political spotlight. And she didn't flinch. Instead, she quickly built herself a substantial online following. At the height of her popularity, she had about 76,000 followers on Facebook and thousands more on Twitter and other social media accounts. But with all the positive attention she was getting from Trump supporters came just as much negative attention. It got really hard last year, very, very hard last year, uh, especially when I started getting a lot of death threats. Um, I had to leave my house in Tijuana for four months. I had to move to America completely for four months and not post where I was, completely hide my location. And were you prepared for that kind of reception? Like, were you... 
No, it was overwhelming. It, it was overwhelming. It was especially because I live in Tijuana and I and I started getting a lot of death threats. I started getting a lot of attention that I did not expect to get. People came out, people that I had not seen in five years that claimed they knew me, but they really didn't know me. That I maybe I met once or something that were against Trump, especially in Tijuana. Um, they came out, put out all kinds of slander, all kinds of things. So no, I was not ready for that. Definitely not not ready, especially since it happened overnight. Even though I had already been very active, but not active in that at that level where like one of my videos got probably about 40, 50 million views, you know? And uh, I remember going through an airport not just a year ago and uh, and I remember going through security when where they open up your luggage and whatever else. The guy that was one of the, you know, one of the uh, one of the agents or one of the uh, one of the, the guys there, he's like, oh my God, you're Paloma for Trump. And then it was like, I just, it was weird, you know? One of the things that propelled Paloma into the headlines is an incident that's honestly just really hard for me to watch. No, 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 no. No, se regresan o los agarramos entre todos. Se regresan. Oh, let's go get them. Let's go get them. In this video you're hearing, Paloma is yelling at a group of migrants who just crossed the Colorado River into the U.S. from Mexico. They're somewhere near Yuma, Arizona. And at one point, Paloma just loses it. She starts pushing a man and his son, who looks like he's just around 12 or 13. I, I, I acted like a lunatic. That's the only thing I can tell you. Why are you hiding your faces? What do you got to hide from? You will never find another video of me acting like that or ever acting prior or ever acting like that again. Um, I I don't know what took over me. Um, I have no idea what took over me that day. It doesn't, I mean, I got, I was reached out to by so many people saying, what, what, what? What is wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? What happened to you that day? I mean, you're compassionate, you're caring, you're not violent, like what is wrong with you? So the only thing I can tell you is that right away, I, I apologized, you know, with, after the video came out and I apologized, I mean, maybe they never saw it, but it, it was wrong, it's the wrong approach. None of us should ever, it should never get physical in any way, one way or the other. And, uh, and I just, I made the wrong choice of words. I made the wrong choice of everything really. Um, even though I'm against uh, people crossing the border, obviously, but, um, but, but that's not, it, it was not my place and it was not the right approach. And it, it, it was pretty weird for me to behave that way. So Paloma says she wants what's best for both countries. But while she spends a ton of time involved in U.S. elections, she actually doesn't get too deep into the politics of the country and city where she currently lives. I haven't voted in Mexico recently because I was robbed of my uh, voter's registration card. I was in Tijuana and a guy put a knife to my face and he took my purse at a salon and my voter's registration card was in there. But yeah, I'm, I'm legally able to vote in both countries. I didn't vote this past election because I didn't have my registration card. Are you just as involved in Mexican politics as you are in American? No, I'm involved in general politics in, in Mexico, not as far as local though. It's very dangerous here to be involved in local politics. Hey guys, good afternoon. 
evening now. <laughs> Last year, Facebook deactivated Paloma's official Paloma for Trump page. They said she was breaking rules related to foreigners interfering in political campaigns, which is kind of strange, right? I mean, she is a foreigner, but she's also a U.S. citizen. She says she's still fighting Facebook. She's told them she's a binational citizen, but that argument hasn't made any headway yet. In the meantime, though, she started new Facebook pages and is slowly but surely building up a new following. I spend a lot of time sometimes reading the comments on the leftist, the radical leftist, because that's all we can call them, the radical leftist platforms out there, mostly on Facebook. So when I went to vote, I went to like my um, local voting booth that was close to the uh, the P.O. box where I was registered at. David again, talking about the 2016 election. When I attempted to vote, I was not on the list, uh, which was like very curious because, of course, I had just spent most of the summer registering people to vote. So, of course, I would have registered myself. And they were like, no, you're not on the list. And they gave me like a provisional ballot, I guess they call it. And it was like this little yellow slip and they give you an actual receipt that has the number on it so you could go and check to see if you, your vote was actually counted. David checked and his vote didn't go through. What probably happened is that he used his P.O. box number on his voter registration. And using P.O. boxes in the address line isn't actually allowed. It was just a simple mistake on his end, but it really frustrated him. And so if I had already kind of like lost faith over electoral politics, then that was kind of like the, the last nail in the coffin, you know? David says he's lost so much faith in electoral politics that he isn't voting in the U.S. presidential election this year. Not only because of his last failed attempt, but because he doesn't like the choices he has. He was a Bernie guy, and he says he just cannot pivot to Biden. Federal electoral politics are just so disappointing. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very unmotivating, um, the, the options that we currently have. And I know that those, some people want, will be very angry at me for saying that, but I don't know. It's just, it was just, it was very disheartening. And just to kind of see, like, I don't, I don't, I'm probably going to sound like a conspiracy nut to, like, most of your listeners, but, but yeah, just to see, like, the, the status quo kind of like coalesce around each other and that like the only difference between the two candidates is how overtly misogynistic or how overtly racist one is over the other, right? When it comes to politicians and elections in Mexico, David says he's feeling just as disheartened and frustrated. He's not too fired up about any particular campaigns. It's been, it's kind of been a very, very depressing past couple of years to be a dual citizen. <laughs> These days, David uses his political energy to get involved with local issues, working with nonprofits that he thinks can make a real impact. You know, right now the border is, is somewhat shut down and that's affecting um, people's pockets on both sides of the border. And I understand that. But then again, those are kind of like things that are happening at the federal level and kind of like outside of my reach. 
So I'm much more interested in kind of like what I can do at the local level, right? David is a professor living in El Paso, Texas, just a stone's throw away from the border and Juarez. So he's been introduced to a whole new grassroots network of folks doing work related to the border there. His latest project is looking into getting migrant kids detained at the border access to education. Tornillo is where they're housing most of the um, child immigrants, which is, again, a horrifying sentence to say out loud, is maybe, I think, like a 35, 40-minute drive away from where I'm currently sitting, right? And so, like, the uptick in, like, people actually, like, driving out there and at least just, like, shouting and shouting support for the children, I'm... I don't want to, like, spoil it too much, but I'm currently, like, trying to figure out something that we can do, like, education-wise to um, at least have these kids get their basic schooling. So, Olivia, she has been counting down the days until November 3rd. I actually requested the day off so that I can go to boat that day. Olivia is a private therapist now, and she has patients in San Diego who might not appreciate her politics. So she didn't want to tell us outright who she's voting for in the upcoming U.S. presidential election. She did tell us about the issues that matter most to her, though. More and quicker pathways to citizenship is high up on her list. But also... I I strongly believe that everybody deserves the right to have some uh, human right to have health care. We can find ways of funding healthcare. If other uh, developed countries have it, why can't we? We are America. It's a land of uh, possibilities. We need to take care of the planet. And, and the planet is like whatever happens in the U.S. will affect South Africa, will affect Argentina, will affect Finland, the entire world. It's not us and them. It's all of us need to work together. Also, systemic discrimination. It is real. It is happening right now in a lot of different places. So I think it's important that black Americans are respected. On a recent trip to Tijuana, Olivia was reminded of what she loves about being binational. Right now, how fortunate I am that I have two worlds. I, I have Mexico and I have the U.S. and I enjoy them both. How different things are once we go across the border one way or the other. Olivia recorded hours and hours of audio diaries like this one for us, sharing her thoughts and exploring what it means to her to be able to vote in two countries. I wish I could play more of them for you, but we just couldn't fit it all in. I did want to play one more, though. It's sort of poetic, and it resonated with me and my own feelings about being binational. I'm going to go for a very short walk. 
so you guys can enjoy the water different sound depending on where I stand guess in a way it's a metaphor of uh, how things look like depending on where we're standing or the perspective that we see them from so this is one sound on one side of the bridge then I, I turn around and take one step and this is the sound it's the same water I'm on the same bridge and I turn around and it's one reality turn around again and it's a different one this reminds me of how it feels to be a border town citizen next time on the podcast for me it was definitely the the crucible of this uptick in violence against uh black bodies that was the deciding factor as a father i feel a responsibility to keep my family safe for me it was just logical you know it just made sense like okay we can't have safety here we can't have peace here well let's find a place where we can a story about black expats Black Americans who've left the U.S. to find refuge from racism on the other side of the border. Do us a favor, and if you like what you hear, pick up your phone and text three people you know who might enjoy the podcast too. Go ahead, I'll give you a minute. You can send them our web link, portofentrypod.org and it'll be very easy to subscribe from there. Thank you in advance for your support. Port of Entry is written and produced by Kinsey Moreland. Emily Jankowski is our director of sound design. Curtis Fox edits the show. Lisa Morissette is operations manager and John Decker is the director of programming. Port of Entry is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. I'm Alan Liliental. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>